and turn in your Bible to Mark 12. Mark 12, again, this is God's Word, verses 38 to 40. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing, and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. Amen. Because I have been repeatedly warned by my bank of online scams, I'm not as bothered or as quickly uh, disturbed when I, when I receive emails from some random person. There's their name in my email, email box and it says, you know, thank you for your, 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 your renewal of your online subscription with Norton Antivirus. Uh, $399 will be deducted from your bank tomorrow. If you have any problems or issues with that, please call this number. And I open up the PDF and I see that it's just very generic. No name, no account number. You know, there's no, there's just, it's just kind of a, it's a scam. They want me to call that number and give them my credit card information, I guess. I, I'm not really sure, but. And because, I'm thankful for these warnings because Otherwise, I'd, I'd be $399, you know, one was $799 from PayPal. This just happened this week. <clears throat> and I'm thankful, I'm thankful for those warnings because I'm aware of my environment. And brethren, I hope that you're aware, and, and my, my concern is that some of you are not, of, of, of a spiritual uh, a spiritual fraud. <clears throat> Unfortunately, in our day, and I'm speaking, um, I'm, I'm speaking. You know, take take this geographic point and take a 50 mile radius. Okay, there there are many uh, unfaithful scribes. There are many unfaithful ministers. And, and I want to warn you because that's what Jesus is doing. He's warning uh, God's people. I am preaching uh, through the book of Mark. When I'm, when I'm asked to preach, I typically make the habit, since I'm without a call, to just at least write one new sermon every time I get to preach. Uh, and so this is, this is the text I'm at. And I'm going through the book of Mark and Jesus is actually teaching in the temple. And he's been approached in this section. This is days before he's crucified. He's been approached by scribes and Pharisees. And now on this, in this point, he's 
going on the offensive. The people are gathered before him, and he's teaching them. And he, he just taught um, some principles for us on how to understand the Bible. In verses 35 through 37, he's asking very good questions, and he's having the people think about the, the scriptures theologically, and he's, and he's teaching. And in this text, he's warning the people of a certain certain types of scribes. And in verse 38, the beginning of it, and he said unto them in his doctrine, uh, it's indicating to us that this is a summary of what he taught. <clears throat> and so my, my title of my message is Beware of the Ministers. And I, I should say just briefly that scribes were the custodians of the wall this time in the visible church. They were the custodians. They physically guarded the, the, the Old Testament and they were copied it. And they also were seen as public teachers of the law. And in that sense, uh, they were very similar to ministers today. Now, I don't do exactly the, the guarding part of it, right? But you hope you understand the connection. So I'm trying to get you to think about it. Beware of the ministers. And I have five points for you with a concluding application. First, beware of heart disease. Beware of the scribes which love to go, which love to go, etc. You see, love is referring to a desire. These scribes desire something. They, they desire the praise and, and the honor of men. That is their goal. That is their chief thing. It's not itself wrong, but it, it definitely becomes wrong when it's the chief thing. It's uh, definitely something to be on guard about in, in, the, in the office of, of the ministry. The idea is grammatically connected to salutations, chief seats in the marketplace, and upper, uppermost rooms at feasts. It goes all the way down to the, to the pronoun which in verse 40. And this is a behavior that Christ has identified and has rebuked before. John 12, 42 Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Instead, their desire should be, their, their love in their, in their position in, their, in the church should be the glory of God and the and good of souls. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who trieth our hearts. And for the good of souls. I love this verse from Colossians 4.13 regarding Epaphras. Epaphras was, as I understand it, was an evangelist at that time. 
very similar to a minister in function, preaching the gospel, caring for a certain place, as people in a certain place at a, at a certain time. And he says, for I bear him record, Paul's talking about Epaphras, for I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. <clears throat> it's very appropriate that our own denomination gives a, a query to all officers, not, not just ministers, all officers. Number seven, so far as you can know in your heart, is it the call of Christ, the glory of God, and the welfare of the church, and not any selfish object that moves you to undertake this sacred office. And this is where this morning's sermon connects um, to this sermon because their selfish motive is, is, the, is themselves. It's self-love. They, they love it. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Before, before a scribe was a scribe, he was sitting in the synagogue pews, wasn't he? Why do you serve Christ? Is it for the praise of men? Is it for the congratulatory effect? Children, children, why do you memorize your catechism? Mothers, why do you have children? And, and maybe lots of them. Chaste virgin or widow, why do you give yourself to the service of the church? Why do you care for invalids? Why do you assist the deacons? Why do you clean up after a fellowship meal? Look at me. I'm a godly woman. Please come, come and thank me. Are you saying that in your heart? Mr. Elder, why do you continue in your office? Do you just like the title? Is it so you can sit on the session and have, a, have influence? Minister, why do you serve Christ? Why do you get in front of the people of God behind the pulpit? Is it because you like to hear your voice? Is it because you like the praise of men? Beware of heart disease. Originally I had four points and I wanted to say some other things about this, um, but I want to make it a second point, which continues the thought. But secondly, beware of a misunderstanding. One of the second point, I want to basically ask three questions and it kind of comes back to what I was just saying. So we're reading in verse 38, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms at feasts. And it, we, I need to, to answer a few questions. First question, is it wrong for ministers to wear long clothing or robes? It's kind of a strange thing to talk about in the pulpit, I suppose, but it's here. And you, I've thought of that which love to go in long clothing? Well, the answer to that question is no. It's not wrong, per se. <clears throat> um, 
that might surprise you perhaps, but um, we don't, it's not my understanding, at least it's not the custom of your pastor, it's not what I'm doing now, uh, to wear the Genevan gown or some robe. Uh, the purpose of that historically was to cover the man. Oh, look, Pastor Ketchman's wearing a blue tie. You know, Pastor Ketchman's wearing a red tie or something. Forget the tie, right? Just listen to the man. Respect the office and realize that Christ has established this for your good. So the Genevan gown was worn, you know, they, they wore the Genevan gown that may have seen the black robe uh, to, to, <clears throat> to just get you not to think about it. And, and for different reasons, um, it's no longer in use. Uh, Typically, a suit's worn that's just normal. and, and um, But anyways, um, that's the, the thought there. It's not wrong per se. It's the heart. It's the heart. And we, we dress according to the occasion. Um, uh, we, 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 we encourage solemnity in dress. Um, but we ought not to be overly critical of our dress and worship because some people don't have nice clothes and, and poor people ought to, to feel uh, welcome here because at the end of the day, it's not wrong uh, per se to wear certain types of clothing like this. It's the heart and that's what we're getting at here. Second question, is it wrong to have special greetings? I've noticed some of you called me pastor today. Um, I'm not really sure what um, these salutations were, at least not from here stated. We're familiar with reverend, pastor, doctor. It's not wrong in itself. <clears throat> Jesus received the title rabbi. Um, he says in John 13, 13 as well, you call me master and Lord and you say well. So I am, master there is a teacher, didaskalos. Men are called kings because they're not common men. They're men of eminence. So we have pastor, we have doctor. But I ought not to pursue the ministry for those such salutations. You see the heart. My father is a dentist. And uh, he's retired now, but... I always kind of liked introducing him as Dr. Ketchum because he's a doctor and we're thankful for doctors. It's appropriate according to the fifth commandment. There's something, there's, there's something wrong. If I was to go up to Dr. Joel Beakey, I'm sure you're probably familiar with him, and for me to say, hey, Joel, how's it going? I'm a young man. He's been ministering for a long time. And... <clears throat> It's consistent with the fifth commandment to say, Dr. Beakey. Is it wrong to have special seats in the church meetings or at banquets? Some of y'all are wondering what I'm going to say here. No, it's not wrong per se to have special seats. Now, a couple of comments, a little bit more comments about this in, in the synagogue, right, in, in the church meeting. We're warned against partiality, James 2, 1 through 4. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with that. Maybe useful to read that. Uh, we're warned against partiality. Okay, special seats. Uh, you're rich. You come sit over here. You're, you're, we like you. We want you to be a member of our church. Come sit over here. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For there come into your assembly a man 
with a gold ring in goodly apparel. And there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Now having said that, I would say that Christ does not condemn this absolutely. I can't imagine uh, what, what the circumstances would be to have special seats of honor in, in our assembly. We don't, I don't see any. Um, it's common to have a seat for the pastor back here. Um, and that's more pragmatic, of course. But notice in Luke 14, 7 through 11, all this is consistent with the fifth commandment. You were to give honor to whom honor is due. Notice in this passage of scripture, Christ does not condemn special seats. Think of banquets like dinner feasts. So Luke 14, 7 through 11, he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, when thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, give this man place. And thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that badeth thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, and go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. So what's my point? Beware of a misunderstanding. That's my point. These things aren't wrong in themselves. It's the heart it's the heart. We are to render, uh, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to him, tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So beware. Um, it's a common mistake in church history to say that this thing here is sin when it's the heart. Yes, God has certainly con condemned and said, don't cross this line and don't do that. But so many things are matters of the heart. S alcohol is not a sin. Guns are not a sin. Music is not a sin. Sports is not a sin. Beware of a misunderstanding. I was told by a godly man years ago, he said, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. You see, it's the heart. You need a new heart. Oh God, cleanse me of my heart. Wash me, make me white as snow. Cleanse me with hyssop. My problem is much deeper than this thing here. My heart is wicked. I have a heart disease. Give me a new heart, O God. And the, and the grace of, of God is that he will. He will. Ask him for a new heart. He'll give you a new heart in Jesus Christ. Well, thirdly, five points. Beware 
of abusive relations uh, beware of abusive relationships verse 40 which devour widows houses there's a new thought here um, grammatically he's picking up it's we're no longer talking about uh, those who love those specific scribes who who loved but now we're talking about those scribes which devour widows houses a sin of taking advantage of the weak for selfish gains. That's, that's what's going on here. The idea is that the estate holder, the husband, uh, the one who can transacted the business and who knew how to do those things, is dead. And the widow's vulnerable. And here's, here's this pastor. Here's the local pastor. Oh, we love the local pastor. He's a, he's a pastor after all. <clears throat> and this man comes in and because of greed as well, or inordinate desire for money and possessions, they're devouring the widow's house. Doesn't say how, doesn't elaborate. We don't really know. Perhaps he's doing it behind their back, just straight up, you know, as it were. Perhaps they're, they have business motives and they're, they're, they seem to be acting in, in, in the widow's good, good, um, good cause, but they're really just biased to, to another cause and they're uh, devouring the house and, and the possessions. But I say to you that it's beware of abusive relationships. I think that's a, a better way of looking at this. In our day, um, authority is attacked, speaking generally, I think it's fair to do that. In our day, in our society, authority is, is, is attacked. Um, victimization has become very popular. It's a thing, you know, I'm a victim. But I remember being told by my minister growing up um, in a different context, in a different denomination, there was a false doctrine going on that involved truth, but. It, it also involves a lot of error. And he told me, he said, I've got to be careful that I don't neglect that one truth. Okay, I'm talking about the sonship controversy in the PCA. Grace, grace. I've got to remember to preach justification, even though that's all they're ever preaching, and they're never preaching sanctification. I can't stop preaching justification. <laughs> and what I'm trying to say to you is that their victimization is real. And there are ministers and pastors and elders who do abuse their relationship. This is actually in the scriptures quite a bit. Jeremiah 7, 6 through 7, If ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, etc. James 1, 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Not to take advantage of them, but to care for them. And a, a, a look, when you, when you look at a minister or a church officer, ask, is he interested? Does, does, he, does he love money, even? Um, does he have a heart for the people? Does he have a heart for the people? Um, and any officer here, any, any, anyone, any minister, or elder, or deacon here, that is in, involved in an abusive relationship. It could be another type of uh, relationship. 
It could may not be widows and, and money. It could be a sexual thing. That's very, very common uh, in our day. Um, if anyone here is in that, stop now. Confess it. Submit to censure. Honor God as God because he already knows. And because he's a forgiving God. So beware of abusive relationships. Well, fourthly, of five points, and this is related, um, but different. Beware of religious hypocrisy. I want to warn you, brethren, not of financial fraud, but spiritual fraud. Sins that are particular to the religious elite and even to ministers. <clears throat> ministers' sins are different. Um, they, they often are different. It says here, and for and so there's a new thought, and for a pretense, make long prayers. Okay. Are long prayers wrong? No. Uh, especially in public worship, the length of, of a prayer is ruled by partly scripture, but also the light of nature. Uh, I prayed shorter, uh, partly because I'm tired. I'm thinking to myself, you are probably tired. And I don't want to encourage you to be fake and to go to sleep as I'm praying. It's ruled by the light of nature. Our attention spans our need for relief and variety. It's also ruled by scripture. Uh, the primary means of grace is preaching. We don't want to pray for 30 minutes and preach for 10. We want to preach for 30, pray for 10. Extraordinary times call for longer prayers and longer preaching. We, we would love that. Uh, lo love to be in a revival. So it's not, long prayers aren't wrong. The problem is their religious hypocrisy. For a pretense, make long prayers. They're not making long prayers because they're earnest men. They're not making long prayers because they're zealous for God. They're making long prayers to appear godly for a pretense. When, when I first read this, the King James, you know, of course, we love the King James, but sometimes it can be a little bit, at least in my, my mind, I'm not sure exactly what's here. The same exact Greek in Luke 20, 47, a parallel passage translates, it's interesting, for a show. For a show, make long prayers. Now I get it. For a show. They're just living for men to notice them. And they're hypocrites because in their heart they're not earnest. They're not zealous. What a sin it would be for a minister to come behind the pulpit and raise his hands and to praise God for his creation, praise God for his providence and not mean it. For a pretense, for a show. Matthew 6, 5. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. So I have a couple of questions uh, for you, brethren. Well, first, when you are called to pray, think about your thoughts and your heart. Are you more concerned about who it is that you're addressing or who, the, who they are who are listening to you? 
beware, friends, of downright raw hypocrisy. I'm very, very aware of the fact that I might be, be preaching to an adulteress or an adulterer. Wake up. God knows. He already knows. Honor him as God. Come to him now where there's forgiveness. He hates religious hypocrisy. Stop it. I'm aware that I might be speaking to a man that's abusing his children. Stop it. It's horrible. Both. The deed and the hypocrisy. You come here and you think that you, you act like everything's fine. And everyone looks at you as um, a godly person. And you're faking it. You're a hypocrite. God hates. He hates hypocrisy. Isaiah 1, 12 through 15. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? And, and we love this verse for the regulative principle of worship. Because he's saying he's required this at your hand. But keep reading. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away, away with. It is iniquity. Even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. Oh, the hypocrisy. Later on in Isaiah, that same chapter, verse 18, he says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Don't love your sin and be like Judas. And go spiritually hang yourself and just die down that path. Stop it now. Jesus will give you forgiveness. Go to your elders immediately following the service and say, I want to speak to you. I am a hypocrite. Here's what I'm doing. Do it. Do it. God already knows. He already knows. There is a fountain of forgiving and cleansing streams. Take your sin to Christ. Confess it. That he might take it away on his cross. Fifth, beware of greater damnation. The text says, it goes on and says, these shall receive greater damnation. Now there's three points of exposition here to note. First, you need to be clear that sin does bring damnation. Okay, a farmer goes out in his field and he plants seed and he sows it and it brings fruit. Okay, um, <clears throat> you go about your life and you just live in sin, not seeking Christ, and you'll go to hell. 
The soul that sinneth it shall die. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The word here for damnation is often translated condemnation. But a condemned person without repentance will be damned. The second thing to notice, these shall receive greater damnation. Greater sin brings greater damnation. We're not Roman Catholics. We don't believe in levels of hell and levels of, of heaven and all these different things like that. But we don't deny that there are greater rewards in heaven for some people. They, they, don't, they don't earn heaven. Please understand me. Okay, Matthew 5.12, Matthew 10.15, if you'd like to look at that. There will also be greater torment in hell. Woe to you, Capernaum. For if what was preached in your city and what was done in your city was done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. Sodom and Gomorrah. Capernaum. Um, there will be, there'll be, be more tolerable on the day of judgment for you than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Greater, greater torment. Some sins by reason of themselves and by several, several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. One of those aggravations is who the sinner is. We're talking about scribes. We're talking about scribes who had access to the word of God, who read it. They read Isaiah 53 and scorned the suffering servant. Whereas a Jewish boy growing up in the synagogue never had access to that. Maybe it never even was read to him. Greater damnation for a trained scribe. James 3.1 My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Masters there is teachers. Okay? But notice also that damnation comes in the future to those who do not repent. These shall, they shall. It's a future tense. It implies a hope. There's a warning here. It's not religious hypocrisy. It's not heart disease. It's not abusive relationships that send people to hell per se. It's contumacy in it. It's, it's remaining in it. It's not turning from it and taking Christ as your mediator. Hear the warning. Hear the warning. Turn from your sin. Confess it. Humble yourself before God and live. The Lord, through the prophet Ezekiel, said to the church, and I'm speaking to the church, he said to them, as I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But the wicked turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways, or why should you die, O house of Israel? And that's, that's your message. That's your, that's your gospel hope. You're a hypocrite. You're, you live in an abusive relationship. You have heart disease. Turn and live. 
know assuredly that for religious hypocrites, those, I'm talking about you here, and you, you know you're not a Christian. You just act like it. Some of you here may confess it, but you're living in an adulterous affair. And you need to know, in such serious cases as adultery, um, you know, abuse, physical abuse, um, scandalous hidden sins, you need to know something. <clears throat> On one side, you have forgiveness and reconciliation in Christ Jesus. You can go to your elders today and you can seek their help and you can plead the blood of Christ. That's one option. You need to know that your only other option is apostasy in hell. That's it. You're, you're hiding right now. You're, you're, it's not clear to you right now because um, no one knows. And I'm here to tell you this is, this is the case. This is the case for hypocrites. Beware greater damnation. Now I want to finish my message with a, an application. Um, concluding, concluding application as I reflect on this text. And I, I go back to kind of my opening illustration about the Norton antivirus. This is a warning primarily to God's people about ministers, right? Scribes, those who teach the law, which is primarily ministers. It, it is a warning to all of you by implication, as I've talked about. But just one final, final application. Um, beware of false and wicked pastors. I must say that your pastor is not one of them. I don't need, maybe I don't need to say that, but I'm going to say that. I'm not talking about that. But some of you may not attend here regularly. Some of you may be looking for a church. Um, some of you may not be as aware of, 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 you know, turn on the radio, oh, hey, someone's preaching, great. Be careful what you hear. Be careful what sermons you listen to. Um, be careful what books you read. <clears throat> there are a lot of them in this world that are not good. Do you perceive them? Are you so naive to think that there are no false teachers? Do you know how to judge them? Are you watchful? And here's the thing. Um, whether it be a minister or an elder or a deacon, you know, you're, you're a congregation and you're, you're um, as I understand it, you don't have deacons right now. Uh, it would be, it'd be great to have more elders. Um, at some point in the life of this church, uh, you'll need to, to um, at some point, you know, you'll need to call a pastor again, okay? Um, and, and you need to know this. The prime qualification for all officers, especially ministers, is eminent piety. It's not, the prime qualification is not intellectual gifts or rhetoric gifts for the minister. It's piety. It's Christ-likeness. Because Christ-likeness fixes all this. And those are the folks you're looking for to vote. Beware of the ones that, that are flashy and dashy. 
take your warning. This is your warning. Take it. And look out of, of these types of people. Amen.